Hello and welcome to another CoinGeek Conversation. I'm Charles Miller and this week I'm talking to someone whose tech career so far has been in big companies, many in the financial sector. Alongside that, he's been following Bitcoin, not just as an observer, but recently determined to get involved and contribute. In his spare time, Mark Allison has been developing some interesting projects for Bitcoin SV. We'll be hearing about those and how he thinks BSV is going to succeed. But I started by asking Mark to give me an idea about the day job. I've been in IT for 20 years, um, probably a bit more than that now, focused on data, so on, mainly on the Microsoft platform. Um, so looking at, I started off in my career as a database administrator for large organisations, making sure that their databases were performing well, up and running well. Then moved over into um, architecture, development work around data, um, and then moving into the cloud more recently with Microsoft Azure, um, Amazon AWS, helping customers and clients move from their on-premise data centers into the cloud. And for some people, it's very easy to move a web server or something like that, but to move terabytes of data and to keep that online and that business running is challenging for them. So I specialize in helping clients keep their data um, online, running well, move it around if they want to move into the cloud. That's and have you been working as a member of a big corporation or freelance? So, so I'm freelance, so I've, I've worked in uh, a lot of investment banks in the City of London, um, helping them. I've worked at retail customers, I was at a retail client today, a large, very large online retailer uh, with insurance, um, hedge funds, asset managers. Um, so I, I get to see and payment process, so I get to see what it's like from the inside, um, what their requirements are in terms of finance, because I've been working in the finance industry most of the time. So before we get on to what you've personally been doing in the world of Bitcoin, just give me a little flavour of the general feeling about the prospects and the reputation of the crypto sector in the kind of world you're coming from. Oh, <laughs> it's a, um, I mean, I would, it, it's a complete shit show, really. From, from, some, from someone who, for example, a payment processor, if they wanted to start accepting Bitcoin, it's just not attractive at all. Um, but from my point of view, I, I see huge potential in, in Bitcoin um, in terms of um, allowing governments to be more transparent, allowing banks to be transparent. If we do eventually, there's a big if, move over to Bitcoin as a, as a, a currency, then I think that everyone's going to be better off because there's going to be that transparency. You're not going to have large banks like HSBC laundering billions of dollars of, of money. But you're saying that, before we get on to how that might happen, that there's an, a real uphill struggle in terms of persuading the the, yeah. the, the financial establishment that this is going to be the right direction to go in. I mean, I mean I've, I've talked to people in the pub after work saying, and, and uh, kind of bored people to death with my passion for Bitcoin and how I think it's going to be the next currency for the world. And they, they're just not interested. 
um, they think it's, I think the Silk Road did a lot of damage to the reputation. Um, so they think it's like drug money, there's magic internet money, it's not really been taken seriously. They must have been interested when the price went up to $20,000 or something. Well, it's interesting because at that time, during late 2017, or the people that I was talking to back in 2013 saying, you may want to invest in some of this stuff, they started calling me up and saying, oh, Mark, yeah, maybe you were right. You know, sh shall I invest? And I was like, no, 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 don't invest now. The market's too frothy. Um, but the, the interest was peaked. And then, of course, because BTC, uh, Bitcoin Core, has these limits still in place, um, it couldn't scale. So we had, so people that did go out and buy Bitcoin and tried to use it were like, well, it's not actually very good, is it? it you've, I can't spend it, I've got to wait two weeks, it's going to cost me a um, dollar or more, ten dollars, even went up to, I think it was what, fifty dollars a transaction to, in fees. Um, so to be used as a global cash, that, that just seemed ridiculous to most people. So, you know, compound that with the Silk Road and, and this clogging of the network and these extortionate fees, uh, a lot of people must have just looked at it and thought, this is a joke. Right, so against all those problems, yeah. how come you're so optimistic? So, so I've, I've realised that these limits are artificial. So if you look at the history of Bitcoin back in 2010, 2011, there are transactions out there where there were zero fees and miners would, would mine those transactions and um, be, you would be in the next block and you would be confirmed in 10 minutes. Um, the instant transactions or zero confirmation transactions all worked perfectly well back in 2010, 2011. And with... Well, that's because very few people were using the system then. Very few people were using the system, but also um, it hadn't been vandalized by the core developers and they've got this thing called replace by fee, RBF, which was introduced, which allows you to uh, double spends to happen. So, um, so people in BTC naturally now want to wait for one confirmation at least, or maybe more. Um, but in, in the, the later forks now, Bitcoin SV, um, the zero comp for instant transactions are now viable again because that RBF has been taken out. But what is it about BSV then that makes you more optimistic? So it goes back to the white paper. I think um, when you consider Bitcoin as a whole, it's a very, I, I see it like a Michelangelo painting. It's a thing of beauty. If you look at the, um, the economics behind it, all of the incentives behind it, that the miners are incentivized. If you look at the computer science breakthrough that happened to solve the Byzantine General's problem, if you look at the game theory behind it, if you look at law, all of these elements all come together in one package and it's just a beautiful thing. Um, so I feel that uh, in the future that Bitcoin SV has the potential to, to replace not only peer-to-peer uh, -peer cash but also other use cases with, as Dr. Wright released in a CoinGeek conference back in November 2018, the, the MetaNet and removing further limits that Core introduced um, on op return and the new op push data for op codes that are coming back. So um, Shadows called it the unfucking. Um, so the, the Core developers have put in a lot of stuff. Steve Shadows from Enchain. Steve Shadows from Enchain. Um, 
is removing or helping the, the developers at Enchain are removing these artificial limits. There's all kinds of, they're all over the code. Uh, like the, the, the number of unchained transactions that can be done. So for example, if I send to you to send someone else to someone else within a 10 minute period, that's got a limit on it that needs to come off. Um, there are all kinds of limits need to come off. And when they do, I think then Bitcoin can really realize its potential. But what the, the reason it will is because it will make businesses more efficient in terms of reducing their costs. So it will be attractive. Once, I think once one big business comes in, starts using it and people look at it you know, for supply chain or for accounting or for uh, notary services, legal uh, proof of existence, all these kinds of services, and they start using it and people see the value in it, once one large company does that, I think, then I'll feel more optimistic than I am now. There's certainly a lot of activity in the world of big business around blockchain, but I'm just wondering whether that can be sort of harnessed into the Bitcoin SV blockchain or whether we're going to just end up with a sort of fragmentation which e with each... So do you mean private blockchains? Yes. Yeah, so I, I've been in a few banks and I have seen them release and they, they actually have some big teams. Uh, I've seen internally working on blockchain, but they are using them for like voucher systems internally. But I think that the whole point of a blockchain is it free for it to be a public ledger. But then why do these banks want to go down the other route? I don't know. I don't think they understand um, the value of a, of a public blockchain. And Presumably because they sort of think at least it'll be under our control. Right, right. I, I, I'm not sure how they're thinking. I just know that they're, they're not interested in Bitcoin as a public ledger. Um, and I, th I think there are very, very few people in the world right now that actually really understand why it's valuable. So if you were in a bank working with them on, I don't quite know what the example would be, but some sort of database issue, what would your argument be to them to do their work on the BSV blockchain rather than having their own private blockchain? So I, I'm, I'm not sure how the banks would think because I think they quite enjoy the fiat system because it serves them well. They can lend money into existence. Um, <laughs> well, after the financial crisis and uh, the banks stopped lending, I, I thought to myself, well, what, what is going on? So I, it led me on a path into what actually is money. And I was really surprised to find that it's all debt, it's all money is lent into existence. And it was a real shock to me that, that, that when, if I go and get a mortgage, that there's a, a fraction of that is kept on the books at the bank, and the rest of it is just magicked out of thin air. So if you have a license as a bank, it's not doesn't necessarily have to be the Bank of England, it could be RBS or HSBC or whoever, can lend money into existence. So Bitcoin for me, um, helps with that, um, that, that kind of abuse of, of the system. Which, as you say, they may rather enjoy. Right. So, so f I'm not sure what the incentive at this point is for banks to, to embrace a public Bitcoin. So if we're looking way ahead to the wonderful world of Bitcoin having succeeded and becoming a sort of global currency, which aspect of it is the most promising to get it started on that route, would you say? 
So I, I think it's going to be regular. I'm not sure it's going to be the banking sector. I think they may be one of the last to join. I think it's going to be like supply chain companies. I think it could even be payment processors, you know, people like um, SagePay, WellPay. They may be able to reduce their costs by using the blockchain because they, they have you know, data centers full of servers that they no longer need to have. They can just outsource that to the miners and uh, that they can provide the interface, they could provide the, the actual terminals and all that kind of thing, but then have underneath have all of the, the transfer done on the blockchain. And the miners are getting a transaction fee instead of this company having to pay for its own cloud servers and stuff. Right, exactly, exactly that, yeah. Um, and I think that we need to scale now. I think, um, I don't know if anyone is listening to this has seen Dr. Craig Wright's presentation at the Arnhem conference but he was very, very strongly saying we need to scale urgently because uh, next year we're going to have a halving again of the mining block subsidy down to six and a quarter bitcoins. And then four years after that, they'll, they'll halve again and halve again. And at that point, if there's not significant volume, then the miners are going to leave and the, the system won't be as secure. So we're, we're kind of, we've got this ticking time bomb, which is why I'm interested in BSV, that they not only have a stable platform in terms of the protocol itself, but they are committed to scaling Bitcoin and we need to scale. If we don't scale, it's going to fail. Um, so so if, from that regard, I'm very, very optimistic about it. That we're going to get there before the time bomb explodes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for, because I, I really would love to see um, everybody using Bitcoin. Um, what would be the, the good things that would follow if that happened? Well, I think if you look at inflation, uh, countries like Venezuela, as, as an extreme example, um, governments, if we've all transitioned over to sound hard money, a bit like in the 1800s in the United States where silver was used, if you look at what an ounce of silver would buy you in the early 1800s and then what an ounce of silver would buy you at the end of the 1800s, it was pretty much the same. And, and, and the currency was based on hard money. So if we, if we move over from an inflationary um, model to a stable model, I think we're going to be much wealthier because that money is not abused anymore. Although, of course, when uh, the United States left the gold standard, I think that gave its government more control over its economy um, well, it allowed it to abuse its, its position. Yeah, I, I don't subscribe to that. I think that the world will be much better off if you... Because it's, it's all about allocation of capital. So if uh, on a, in an inflationary system, there's no incentive to save, you're incentivized to spend. But in a deflationary or stable economy, um, capital can be allocated where it's needed. So you don't spend your money until you need something. But we need people to spend. We do, we do, but we want them to spend on the right things so, um, so that we don't have a, um, a, a repeat of 2008 where people are buying things they can't afford. Um, it's just ridiculous. So I think those, those big busts would be, will disappear if we go to sound money. Let's just turn to, now you, you haven't just been thinking about this, you've been actually rolling up your sleeves and and contributing. So tell me about the projects that you've 
So, uh, yeah, I'm not contributing in a big way because I've still got my, my day job um, working in the city doing my database stuff. Um, so, I remember in for the latter half of last year in 2018, Craig Wright saying, "I oh, just we just need we need builders, we need people to build." And I was thinking to myself, "What can I do? I need to I need to do something. I need to do something." And I was really really um, enjoying the Handcash wallet, and I said to the guys at Handcash, Rafa and Alex, I said, "Are you going to have a Chrome extension for Handcash? Because to, to get money off exchanges or from other people that don't have it." It'd be really handy to have a little button in my browser that I can click on and get the address and I can use it that way. And they were like, no, we don't have any plans for that. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll just make it. And Craig's been saying we need builders, so I'll just build a little something um, and get my feet wet. But how difficult is that? Sounds very difficult. So for me, um, it was quite difficult because I work on the, in, in IT parts, we call it the back end, the, the data side. I don't work on the front kind of glossy end of the website. So I got myself an online course. I learned JavaScript and did a course in CSS and HTML and over a period of probably two or three weekends. And then I just started building it. And uh, after probably about a month of weekends of my spare time, managed to cobble something together that, that kind of worked. You make it sound very easy. <laughs> so it's probably easier for me than someone who's not technical. Um, so, uh, you know, I do write a lot of code, uh, but back-end code, I don't write front-end code. Um, so, so um, yeah, and I just found it useful. Did it, in fact, give you the idea that these, these guys who work at the front-end have it very easy compared to what I have to deal with all the time? Well, the, the good thing about working on front-end code is that you don't need to maintain state, so you don't need to maintain the data. Like if, I, if there's a bug on the back-end which wrecks the data... Your business is over. So, but on the front end, if you if there's a, a form that doesn't look quite right, you can fix that bug, and you're all back to how you were. It's all fine. So, bugs on the back end are catastrophic. On the front end, it's, it's a lot easier. Okay. <laughs> so this thing is this thing out then. Yeah. So this is called the Handcash Handle Converter. So it converts a Handcash handle into a Bitcoin address. And if you go to the Chrome Web Store and search for Handcash, it will come up, and then you can install it into your, your Chrome browser and use it to convert handles. We'll, we'll put a link to it uh, on right. our show notes. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> um, people have found it useful. So, but amazingly, this is only one of your projects. There's, a, there's another one. <laughs> yeah, so, so there's, there's two kind of categories. So the Handcash one is open source. I've put the source code on GitHub if anyone wants to have a look at it. Um, there's another guy, Derek Moore. I'd like to give a shout out to Derek. He took the code that I wrote and he created a website called handcash.to um, where you can do the same thing as, as my thing, but it's a, it's a web page, it's a website instead. So, um, so he managed to do that because it was open source. So I then thought to myself, I want to build something a bit bigger. I've got my feet wet. Now let's, let's do something a bit more ambitious. And I've seen the amazing work that the Unwriter has been doing with the Bitcoin DB, the BitDB, um, work that he's been doing and notice that by default that it only goes back nine months of worth of data so I thought to myself we really would be handy if we could have an analytics database on Bitcoin where so just to explain what what, what what exactly we're talking about here so this is a database that shows you all the previous transactions or something right so so the underwriters version is you can query like you can look up a Bitcoin address, you can find out unspent transactions, you can put in queries to get information from the blockchain without having to run a full node yourself. 
I mean, could you describe it as a sort of search engine for blockchains? I, I guess, yes, yeah. Um, what I want to do is to build something where, in, in the finance world, they have vast analytics platforms. Um, I worked at one of, one of the very large investment bank um, that will get all of that data in and allow you to write queries against the entire history of Bitcoin and have a result come back very, very quickly. So what sort of thing w- would you be looking for and why? So, um, so, for example, at the moment, I'm showing you know, mining fees, trends, and I'm looking at transaction trends, looking at op return usage, categorizing the amount of op return usage, who's using it, um, and then you can relate those things together. So ultimately, what I want to have um, is a self-service analytics platform. So you can log into our website, you can choose the things that you're interested in, drag those onto a page and it will produce some data for you. Right, so it's not actually designed to sort of answer a question, a query about an individual transaction. It's, it's actually generating um, data points over right, so time. It's, it's looking at analytics of kind of yeah. insights, that um, data mining. It's sort of more of an analytics machine right, than, right. than a search Right, but it, it can do that as well. Right. So, um, I'm not sure. So what I'm going to do, so Rafa, um, one of the guys from Hankash, gave a presentation um, a couple of nights ago at the um, Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV meetup, and he was talking about the minimum viable product. So as a startup, a new company, you start with something small that, that works, and then you, based on user feedback, what people like or what they're latching onto, you then build that up, and what people don't like and don't use, you just kind of drop or, or minimize. So I'm throwing up a website, and um, I'm going to analyze metrics on what people use, what people like, and get feedback through Twitter, different communication channels, to find out which direction to take it in. So are you just doing this sort of your own entertainment, or is there going to be a business that comes out of it eventually. So yeah, so I'm doing I'm doing it because I enjoy building. Uh, I think I find it fun and rewarding to, to come up with something that people other people use and, and like using. I feel like I've done something useful to the world. Um, but I'm going to be using the money button um, thing that Ryan X Charles has come out with, and this amazing little button. It's going to be the money button for the internet, and. I'm going to have a money button on the website, so and I'll be tracking the different money button IDs and finding out which ones that people use, which ones people don't use. So some some of the data on the website will be out of date, and if you want to see the latest data, you just swipe the money button and it will refresh it and bring you, give you the latest data. So there'll be a revenue stream that way. Um, I'm just going to just throw it out there and see if people like it, and if they do, then I'll keep going. If they don't, then I'll do something else. When I heard your talk about this, I rather like the idea, if I, if I understood this correctly, that when somebody swipes and the uh, data is updated, then people who follow will benefit from being able to see the updated data, not just the person who swiped. Is that correct? Well, there are different models I'm going to explore. So there's this model where um, to not require a login... So if you go to the website without logging in at all and you swipe the money button, it refreshes the data, then the next person that comes in will see the latest data. And then the next day, if the data is one day out of date and they want to see the latest data, they have to swipe the money button. Now, the reason I'm doing that is because I don't need a login system. So um, I know that um, with Cashport, um, 
by the Handcash guys, they've got a login system. Money Button also have an, an authorization system. I'd l I want to get something up there that doesn't require people to log in. Right, but it, it also has the rather nice effect that people who can afford it can, right. uh, can pay something, and if you are really skint, you just wait for somebody else to pay up. Is right. that right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just going to see how it goes. If, if, I mean, uh, if I see how often people want the latest data. And um, the ways that big websites like Amazon, they have a thing called feature switches. So what you can do on a website is you can have different models. So you can select, say, 20% of your users, I'm going to show the website in this way, with a login screen, and then everyone else, they'll swipe the money button and update it. So I might experiment and just find out what, what people like. So you've, you've looked at the big picture and you've also um, rolled up your sleeves to make something to contribute. What would you really like to see as one thing that would help push this whole uh, project forward of, of Bitcoin? We need to see on the mainnet consistent large blocks through real-world usage. That's the thing I really want to see. So as soon as these limits are all removed and people are putting data into op return, so we, there's two things need to. I want one of two things. We either need lots and lots and lots of small transactions or a smaller number of larger transactions. So if, if a business finds a use case where they can make use of what return and that business may actually support the miners until more businesses come on board, um, I think that's, that's what I really want to see, either of those two things. I think what's actually going to happen is we'll see usage of op return, so we're going to see a smaller number of large transactions, so that will secure the future of BSV because it's the only chain that allows for these large op return um, transactions to happen. And what will those large transactions be, do you think? Well, at the moment we've got cat videos, <laughs> but I think it will be um, data that needs to be immutably stored and that, that you know hasn't been tampered with. You can go back in time. Uh, people are putting whole entire websites on the blockchain now that, that, that you, know, you know proof of existence um, is a big use case. So I'm hoping for businesses to start using it, put data on there, and um, and it doesn't really require, I don't think it requires many big businesses to do that. I mean, even Rhinex Charles managed to fill several blocks just uploading some photos. Yeah. You know? um, so I think it's very, do very doable and very optimistic. Well, thanks, Mark. But before I let you go, tell us the website address. Sure. So you can find it at www.com svcharts.com and that'll be in our show notes as well Mark thank Great. you very much for coming in today Great thank you you're welcome Thanks very much to Mark Allison If you want to learn more about Bitcoin SV please go to the CoinGeek website and sign up for our special conference in Toronto at the end of May and get a special discount for buying your ticket in BSV until next week, thanks for listening and goodbye.